What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 143 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer your question first. I not answer your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talk about beards. Beard, beard, beard. about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating and go right into our main discussion where we will be joined by a very special guest to answer the question, should vegans support corporate campaigns? I'm excited, Paul. Me too. But I have a question for you. Yes, Andy? You ever, you ever feel like someone's watching you? I do feel like <laughs> someone's watching me, and today I actually have an answer why, and that's because right now we're recording live from the Atlantic City Vegan Food Festival. Give yourselves a hand. <laughs> that's right. So it's funny. New Jersey actually has a special place in our hearts. I never thought I'd hear myself say that, but we did our first... Uh, sorry. New Jersey <laughs> slam. We did our first ever podcast from New Jersey, from Millville, about... 30, 30 miles from here. Yes, and I don't have a very good memory, but that episode is memorable to me because we recorded in front of about five people who had no idea who we were. <laughs> and so we've done about two years worth of weekly podcasts since then, and we moved up. Now we're playing to about 10 people who have no idea who we are. There we go. So if you don't know who we are, uh, we are the Bearded Vegans. We release a podcast every single Wednesday exploring some of the ethical gray areas of veganism and issues within the vegan community. But on top of that, we also love to analyze different activists' tactics. And today, we're fortunate to have a true expert in the field of corporate campaigns. That's right. So we have about an hour to talk today, so we're not going to do news. Uh, so we, it would be criminal to not get you right on stage right away, although see Secretly, you're here right, right now. Uh, so please give a very warm welcome to Lauren Ornelis from the Food Empowerment Project. All right, Lauren, thank you for joining us. I have a fun fact for you. You, you might already know this. Okay, I'm ready. You were our very first guest ever on this show, episode two. Oh, I didn't know that. That is a fun fact. And you're the first one to ever come back to us as well. Well, I was already here. So. <laughs> So before we get into some of the serious stuff, uh, we of course have to talk about food that we've been eating. So yesterday, Andy and myself were here for the Vegan Food Truck Festival, which was pretty darn great, Andy. It's exciting. And we both got to try something that neither of us have had, which was Philly Fry. And I used to live in Philadelphia. I was a Philly guy, but I was trying Philly Fry for the first time, which was, I thought, pretty cool. Yeah, it was delicious. It's the best French fry I've ever had. Yes. It's like creamy like almost melt in your mouth on the inside, but almost breaded on the outside, and they had fun toppings. Yeah, so I got the buffalo fries, so it was like buffalo chicken on top, buffalo sauce, ranch dressing, and it was very good. And I got the barbecue with the blue cheese. Um, Lauren, I know you got here late last night, so you, did, you missed the food truck festival, but there's one vendor I said that you must try because you have a special connection to them today. Yes. Um, Gone Pie Bakery. Yeah. They, um, this is their... Of course, you can't see or smell it on the podcast, <laughs> but um, they use, um, they actually switched or they use Food Empowerment Project recommended chocolate. So for those who don't know, um, there's still slavery and child labor taking place in Western Africa um, for chocolate, simply for a luxury item such as that. 
And um, Food Empowerment Project has a list of chocolates we do and don't recommend based on this. And we're very excited that this vegan bakery uses chocolate that we recommend. Yeah. And their food is delicious. And I am very excited to be back on the show. Yes. We're so happy to have you. <laughs> yeah. I love, we love Gone Pie. We've raved about them in the past. So and we appreciate that they go the extra mile to make sure that the ingredients are sourced ethically. If anyone out there is like wanting to adhere to your standards, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the, the Food Empowerment app. Sure. So in order for companies to make Food Empowerment Project's recommended list, they need to, one, first make a vegan chocolate. We've had a lot of companies who don't make vegan chocolates want to be on our list, but they can't. And so some start making vegan chocolate so they can be on our list. Um, But they also can't be sourcing the cacao beans from where slavery and child labor still takes place. We don't go based on any certifications. They've been found to be incredibly problematic. So we go simply based off country of origin. Right on. And they can download this app, and you're standing there right in the store. He's like, come on, sell it, sell it. Um, We have a list on our website, and then we have a free app that you can download. So if you have an iPhone or an Android, it's free, and you download it, and you just type in the name of the company, and it tells you if we recommend them or not. And if there's, we update the list every month, but if there's a company you like that isn't on the list, you can email us the name of that company, and we'll look into it. It's awesome. It's very easy because you just stay in a store, you pull up the list, there you go. And if there's a vendor that you like and you're like, I wonder what this chocolate's about, you should ask them where their chocolate's coming from. Cool. All right. So with that, with all that food talk out of the way, let's move on to our main discussion, which is should vegans support corporate campaigns? And so this discussion, this idea for this discussion came about because recently, in a lot of recent episodes, we've been talking about specific vegan tactics where vegans or organizations are going to they're protesting specific restaurants or they're protesting like a specific butcher shop like that and we especially talked about this in episode 139 which was called learning from restaurants reactions to vegan protests but what we've kind of found is that in a lot of these actions they end up getting picked up by the mainstream media and in all like across the board just from the tone of the articles and then if which I recommend no one reading comments under news articles but if you read the comments under the news articles <laughs> you can tell that like everyone is siding with the restaurants everyone's siding with the butcher shops and I would say there's even vegans that will comment on it and be like oh like I'm not one of like don't worry I'm the cool vegan I'm not one of them so we were talking about this because we were like well like if this has is, if this is getting such negative press and it's just getting such a negative reaction is this something that really that we should really be participating in and wouldn't it be like a more efficient use of our time if we just work to create new vegans right yeah and i think that we we sort of come to that conclusion because we look at a lot of those campaigns like oh they're just trying to shut down a butcher shop or get them to add vegan options somewhere or in some cases even just put up a sign in their window and we think, well, what if we spent that time trying to make new vegans instead? And that, that knocks down all these dominoes because the vegan is not going to buy the fur. They're not going to go to the butcher shop. They're not going to patronize these businesses unless, of course, they have the vegan options. Um, but then it started to make me wonder, like, is that, is that like lazy of us? Like, is it very just sort of we're sitting in this tower and we're going like, you should just make new vegans instead. And you shouldn't focus on targeting like one specific business. And maybe we're just looking at examples of bad campaigns that are happening. Yeah, so Lauren has a long history of winning campaigns, uh, uh, corporate campaigns, so that's why we brought her on. And But before we talk about some of like the specifics campaigns that you're participating in right now, just generally, why do you feel like a corporate campaign is a worthwhile endeavor? Well... 
for a lot of reasons. One is because I find corporations to be unethical, and I like to fight them at every chance that I can get. <laughs> so that's the anti-capitalist in me. Um, but in addition to that is that I think that we need to use all tools in the toolbox to advocate for non-human animals. And this is just one of those tools. Definitely doing our best to create more vegans is fantastic, but I'm an activist, and I want to see more tangible change quickly. And I can talk about some of my campaigns that I've done and how they really did create change. I don't think it's one or the other, and I think that's always this idea that this movement has is it's farmed animals or animals used in research. We need and we should be doing it all for human and non-human animals. But I think it's the same thing when we look at our strategies because corporate campaigns can create vegans, and they in time do. So I guess that leads me to my first question, which would be like, what to you makes a good corporate campaign is it the target is it the ask like all of those things combined like how would you lay out if you were trying to put together a successful campaign what do you like where do you start what's ground zero there's so many grounds that are (laughs) (laughs) i'm like thinking of all the different ones i'm like oh they were all different but i think some of it is indeed is it something that's winnable but i don't think that that should hold you back because i ran successful campaigns on things that told me would never work But I think that talking to people and seeing how realistic they are, I think making sure that there's a clear target, that your ask is something that will happen in your lifetime, because otherwise that's a long-term... Like me, creating vegans and promoting veganism is a long-term campaign, so corporate campaigns are short-term campaigns, right? And also, do you have the people and the momentum to fight it until you win it because it will take 10 plus years sometimes to win these and you can't let go because it makes us look weak and it hurts the animals. So before you start it, you make sure you or whoever you're working with is in it for as long as it's going to take. So like something that we've been talking about when we were criticizing some of those other campaigns uh-huh. against the restaurants and stuff was we were saying like, well, we should, we should be thinking about what's an efficient use of our time. That's something we've been talking about recently a lot. It's just like, how do we use the limited amount of time and resources that we have? And is that something, like, with the corporate campaigns, you were kind of getting at it with, like, sometimes you do tackle these bigger, like, these bigger corporations, but is that something that you have to think about a lot where it's like, should I put all these resources into this thing that I'm not sure if I'm even going to make any grounds with? I would say that that is how you pick your target. Because if you don't think you're ever going to win it, and I do think, I think a 10-year campaign is pretty all right. Um, I think if you don't think you're ever going to win it, then don't do it. But I think, and I also am somebody who, like, believes in doing it all. So it's like I may be targeting a particular corporation on Saturday, but it doesn't mean Wednesday I'm not going to be doing something that's just trying to get people to go vegan. So have you ever put a lot of work into starting or, like, making the groundwork for a campaign and then just sort of realize that we can't win this and you, you drop it? No. I have had, um, working in a grassroots group that I started in Austin, we had one member of our group, we were a grassroots group, that was very interested in targeting um, pet shops. And we created this whole survey tool to be able to go in and do a checklist to see how the animals are. But she was the only one really interested in it, and nobody else was. And so we didn't continue it because... And this is when I learned we got to make sure everybody's really invested in it because if it's just one person, they can't make it work. It's going to take everybody. But no, Andy, <laughs> I've won all my campaigns so far, okay? So, so why do you think that your campaigns 
why are you winning those? And then like some of these other examples against restaurants or butcher shops, why are we losing those? Well, I personally wouldn't choose a butcher shop to target as a, as a campaign because I would think that my energy would be better spent focusing on a store that sells animal products and non-animal products. And then that gets into a whole other thing of how realistic is that. So one of my campaigns, we got Trader Joe's to stop selling all duck meat. Now, we went after duck meat because duck meat was a small industry that was trying to grow, and we didn't want it to. So we targeted all the grocery stores that were selling duck meat, and we were successful in getting Trader Joe's to stop carrying it. We got Pier 1 Imports to stop using feathers in all of their products. But had we have gone to Trader Joe's and said stop selling pig meat, that wouldn't have worked, right? Just like when the Whole Foods campaign came up about bunny meat. I was like, oh, this is so winnable. And all the activists were like, teach us, tell us how. (laughs) But it was like so obvious to me that we could win that because it's a small market. And in my opinion, yeah, absolutely. Do I care about the, you know, the 26 billion or turkeys that are killed every year or million turkeys that are killed? Absolutely. But if I can stop one animal from being killed anymore, like, during our duck campaign, the figures for duck meat um, deaths and the slaughter rates went down by like 7 million ducks a year during our campaign. So we were able to knock that down by going corporation after corporation. And so I, f- I feel like a common criticism of something like specifically focusing on duck meat or rabbit meat is that it is a single-issue campaign, and it's sort of reinforcing this idea that some animals are more deserving than others. So how, how would you respond to that? Well, it's like, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm ready to throw down, Andy. <laughs> um, I, I think that there's a lot of different ways. One is with the rabbit thing was very much telling them don't use words like pets. Don't use words like companion animals because it's not, that's not what it's about. It's about that Whole Foods Market is trying to create a business for something for yet one more animal who's going to be killed. Let's not make rabbits any different than chickens or pigs or cows or fish. It's all of them. And this is a strategy. So people who talk about that don't, in my opinion, don't really understand strategy in terms of just trying to get one bad thing stopped. And so with the duck campaign that we did, we talked about chickens. We talked about everybody. We weren't not going to talk about the other animals. That was never the point. Because then you are making it seem like one's better or more important than the other. But that's just being honest by saying, look, all of these matter, but we're talking about this right now, and let's take care of this. So how do you incorporate that idea into a... Like, I'm planning the sign that I'm going to hold. Okay. Is it a, like, do you try and have a little asterisk and be like, but by the way, all the other animals matter and It's in your all literature. Okay. It's in the literature that you hand out. We, all of our literature talked about all the other animal in terms of like the leaflet would be, let's, I'm going to use ducks because that's really the campaign that I worked on for a long time. The leaflet talked about ducks, but it never made it seem as if ducks were the only birds. Um, and then in the, what you could do section was like contact these grocery stores um, don't eat any animals, more information about going vegan. So we never acted like, just don't eat ducks. It was like, don't eat any of these critters. But right now we're talking about ducks to try and get them to not sell them anymore. And you, you mentioned before that these types of campaigns can, can actually make new vegans. Maybe you could elaborate on that. Sure. We had a lot of young people. We did our duck campaign in 2002, and we had activists all over the country who were leafleting at not only the grocery stores like Trader Joe's and Whole Foods, but also at lakes and ponds where they could see ducks, you know, live, living, beautiful ducks. 
And I have to say Woodstock is, someone from Woodstock is here, one of their board members, the executive director, and they have Quincy, who is actually my little love duck, who I use to talk about ducks a lot. Um, but, you know, it was like little kids would get these leaflets about ducks, and then we would get emails like, I don't want to eat chickens anymore, is that okay? And it was like, this is the way we want you to think. <laughs> and it was the same way, it was this slow, like, that tipping point, because people have, in my opinion, most people have some form of relationship with a duck more than they do a chicken or a turkey because they're used to seeing them on the lakes and the ponds. So it was just this way to open the door for them to think about birds in another way. And so it was a stepping stone. And now was that, was that for the people who you were campaigning to or was that for the people working on the campaign? Because I imagine some of these, like, I could see non-vegans being like, oh, yeah, like, eating ducks is wild. I don't want that to happen. So it's like I could foresee non-vegans joining a campaign like that do you like set out strict guidelines do you make sure like everyone's vegan or how do you handle that with that campaign everybody was vegan because we were such an outwardly vegan organization so they did end up being um, vegans who worked on it but there have been other campaigns that we've worked on that the people weren't necessarily vegan but they went down that path i mean we worked in a kangaroo campaign to get adidas to stop using kangaroo skins um, and that was, you know, people would be like, oh, yeah, why am I thinking just of the kangaroos? Because our materials, again, wouldn't just talk about kangaroos. It would talk about the other animals who were also killed. So it wasn't like this is all we're allowing ourselves to talk about. I set the rules. I decide what's in the leaflet. I set the dialogue. Did, did you have to, like, talk to the people that were going to go out, specifically the non-vegans? Did you have to talk to them about making sure that they didn't say like, yes, this thing is bad, but this thing is okay. Because it's like in the literature and stuff, but you can't necessarily control when they're having a conversation. Yeah, so that I don't know because I wasn't with everybody. But I yeah. do know that we would be very careful to say that like, again, th so the, the, boot, the soccer cleat that was made by the designer was actually made to be synthetic. And Adidas decided to use kangaroo skins for it. So we would just focus on the original designer's intent but we would make sure to be like, but cow leather is no different. The difference being, and why we were focusing on it, is the fact that we're losing kangaroos. Kangaroos are, you know, we're going to lose kangaroos if we don't stop killing them. So that is a difference between cows and kangaroos. So we would highlight that as a difference in terms of the immediacy of the issue, but not in terms of the suffering. Maybe we can talk a little bit about how you're putting together a campaign. You already have sort of talked about what kind of ask you're looking for, which is something that a business would actually do. You're not saying shut down your business. You're saying drop this small part of your portfolio, essentially. Uh, once you sort of come up with the ask, how do you make that ask known to the business? Is it huge protest day one? Is it a quiet letter? Like, how do you go about it? Yeah, so we start out every campaign in the same way. And this is why we don't, I would never really target a slaughterhouse or a butcher shop because basically I want them to go out of business. Uh, there's no point in communicating. But for the most part, you assume they're completely ignorant. Even though you know that they know, you send them a letter with documentation proving to them everything that you're saying. So you're like, hey, you might not know that, you know, ducks killed for foie gras have this pipe shoved down their throat. We just act like they don't know anything. <laughs> we provide our investigation videos, photos, everything to them. And we kind of say, well, we want to talk to you. And then one of the reasons why we do that is because when they write back to us or they talk back to us, then we have in our hands what it is they're going to say to every customer. So we know how to counter those arguments immediately, right? 
So that's why we really want it and right. One duck factory farm, I mean, one grocery store got a response from the duck farm that said, these people trespassed on my property, they investigated my farm, and we want to sue them for, you know, breaking the law. And we were like, great, they admitted that that was their farm. <laughs> now there's no denying that, yeah, that's how they're treating these animals. They proved our case. So you never know what could come out. So, yeah, we do the small letter. When we were um, with my group in Santa Clara County, when we targeted a grocery store, I'm sorry, a restaurant for serving foie gras after we had already, I helped pass a law against foie gras in California, um, we started out with a letter. They didn't want to talk to us, but we didn't go to the restaurant with 100 people. And the reason why we didn't do that is because we knew that we couldn't consistently have 100 people at a protest. So it made more sense to have two to four people there every week because we knew we could get two to four people there every week. And for some reason, that annoys them like nothing else. Just the consistency of being out there has changed more companies than anything else. So we, didn't have, we never even had to get 100 people there. Because they capitulated, we started it in like March and they capitulated by the end of October. So, and it was just by two to four people holding signs every week and that was it. Wow. So do you think more of like a, a slow annoyance thing is more effective than like the one big pow? I do and I think part of that is because one of the things campaigners don't always do, which they should, is decide their focus. Are you going in to communicate with the public? If you are, then you probably don't want to have a megaphone. Because you need to talk to people, and that's going to scare them away. You probably don't want to have 100 people out there either. If you want to annoy your target, then have that megaphone and lock down and get arrested, too, because that's really going to annoy them. So you decide what your target, and it may change. One week it may be talking to the customers. The next week it may be annoying your target. So you just have to pick and choose. Um, but, yeah, I, if, there's our, the history of social justice in this country also shows how effective it is to just being out there. The suffragists did the same thing when they were fighting for the right to vote. They just stood out in front of the White House, and for some reason, that just drove the people in charge crazy. That All they were doing, then, of course, they would get arrested, and then they would start force-feeding the suffragists, and then that caused a whole outcry about how these women were being treated. So you never know, but just some reason just simply being out there is annoying. So I, th I think at this point we would love to hear more about specific campaigns, but... I realized we haven't given you a chance to give your, your elevator pitch for what Food Empowerment Project is all about. Yeah. So maybe you could explain to these amazing people, if for some reason they're not familiar, how do you explain your organization to people? Because it's, it's pretty unique within this movement. Thank you. Yeah, we, so we are a vegan food justice organization, and our goal is really help to connect issues. Um, we find that oppressions are connected, and when we look at our food choices, we have an immediate way to say no against some of the, the oppression and cruelty that's taking place in the world, whether it be to human or non-human animals. So we don't believe in choosing one or the other. If suffering's taking place, we want to confront it and not participate in it individually, but we also want to use our collective voices to try to change it. So our campaigns, we work on promoting veganism for the animals. Um, we currently have an effort that we're doing on August 30th in honor of Dr. Sylvia Earle, who's an oceanographer who a lot of people don't know who she is. And we're using it to highlight her. Um, if you have the privilege of having Netflix, there's a documentary called Mission Blue, which is about her. And I feel like as a woman, her work has been overshadowed by men in the marine industry. And I felt like it was time to elevate her voice. I wanted to be a marine biologist. But, and I feel like if I would have known there was another woman out there, I might have been doing that. So we really want people to know who she is 
honor her and her work by going out and help fight for the ocean. So that day and that weekend, we're asking people to go out in front of a creek, a lake, a pond, the ocean, and just pick up some trash. A lot of us are vegans, so we already don't consume sea creatures, but the ocean is to the point where we need to do more for her. So just taking an hour to pick up trash will go a long way. We also work to fight for farm workers. So um, we do a lot of support for farm worker um, run campaigns, supporting their boycott against Wendy's, supporting their boycott against Driscoll Berries. Um, we also are doing a school supply drive for the children of farm workers. Um, we have some information on our table to, where, to find out how you can send school supplies to us that we will deliver to the children of farm workers to help their education. We don't see this as an act of charity, but instead helping to ride an injustice, which takes place against farm workers on a daily basis. And then we work on the chocolate issue to try to get people not to buy chocolate sourced from the worst forms of child labor, including slavery, which we have the app in the list. And then the last part of our work is um, working on lack of access to healthy foods in communities of color and low-income communities. Um, we currently have a campaign against Safeway, which is also known as Shaw's and Acme. And what they've been doing is they've been located in communities of color as well as where older populations are living. And they place restrictive deeds on their former properties, preventing other grocery stores from moving in. So they'll move out and they'll go from downtown to a suburban area. They'll place a deed on their former property that prevents another grocery store from moving in for 15, 20, 30, 60 years. So um, we have a petition we're asking people to sign. Sorry, Andy, if that went too long. <laughs> no, that's you great. You said elevator pitch. It was a really high building. <laughs> well, we definitely want to get into the specifics of some of the things that you just mentioned. Uh, I'm wondering if you can think of like a corporate campaign that you look back on it and you're like, we totally nailed that. And we, we picked a great target. We made a great ask. We, we ran this so efficiently. Do you have a, like a, f a favorite campaign as much as one could have a favorite? I, I, I do have favorite campaigns. I don't say that there's any that I was like, wow, I did great. Because almost on a lot of it, it was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm so done. This, I don't know what to do anymore to target this company. And then inevitably, for two of them, our campaign against Whole Foods Market and our campaign against Cliff Bar, I was at the same point, And this is like 10 years apart. And um, I got to that point, and then a change happened. And so I, now I like to get to that point because I'm like, now the change is going to happen. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that the duck campaign, because it had so many different ramifications, is probably my favorite. Okay. Nice. So I have a question. So if, if someone like any of the fine people out here are interested in either joining a campaign or, or supporting a campaign, um, how... How should people go about figuring out which campaigns to put their time and their effort and their money into? Because I think when I look at all the vegan organizations, I very rarely find one where I'm like, oh, I agree with every single thing this organization says. But it's like, because I can't find the 100%, I, like, I need to, you know be okay with some stuff but like what's too much like is there any like red flags that you should look out for or is there any lines that for i guess it's different for every single person it but is. like lines that can't be crossed well for me and i know this is not going to be a popular thing to say but for me i don't support the consumption of animals and so i have a hard time i would have a hard time working on any campaign which is still calling for some form of animal consumption. So if it's like bigger cages, I just, I can't because at the end of the day, I don't, I, I don't care how big that cage is. I don't care if they're outside. I don't want people eating them. 
And so I think that it's finding something that's more true to my heart. That's why the campaigns that we did always had to have that component to it about not consuming animals because, you know, a lot of these corporations are evil, right? So it's like I'm not going to, okay, I'm going to use a campaign that these groups have already run, but one or something, but let's say there's a particular fast food restaurant that they're trying to get to not use caged, trying to get to use cage-free eggs. I'm going to still boycott McDonald's. I don't care. And so I just feel like that isn't where my constituency, which tends to be vegans, are going to have some power, right? Because they're not going to be going there anyway, and they're not going to be buying anything. But for my heart, I can't, I don't want them eating those animals' eggs anyway. Here's a question. So you look at a campaign like a cage-free egg campaign, and you say, I'm not spending my time working on this. If someone approaches you, would you give a signature for this thing? Where do you fall on that? Andy, <laughs> this is live. You can't edit me later. Um, I would say that I can't, but it's also that I don't get, I get the intention, right? I get the intention and I really do. And I just am so thankful that all those other people who probably consume animals will give them that signature. Because I can't. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say I did work on Prop 2 in California because theoretically, as it was described to us, it was supposed to be banning certain things. So I worked on it as a form of banning gestation crates, banning cages, banning certain things, and that I supported. But when I collected signatures, I was 100% always on the vegan message. Never changed that. Have you ever like been working on something with another organization or with another group and then you like realized that some of their ethics weren't in line with yours and then you're like, oh, I'm in this awkward position now? With animal groups, yes. Um, and that's why we don't work with a lot of animal groups, unfortunately, because and not so much, we may be on some of the same page with them when it comes to animals, but when it comes to human rights issues or non-racist issues or fat shaming issues or you name it, we're not in alignment with them. So we can't work with them. So our mission is like would be beyond just the animals. Now, the farm worker justice groups that we work with, they're not necessarily vegan. But when we were part of a coalition to work on a farm worker appreciation day in California, we said we can help, but the event has to be vegan. And they were like, that's fine. So we got the money and we got people to make all the food and the entire event was vegan. So that's kind of what we find in working with these communities is they don't have a problem with the vegan thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of piggybacking off of, I don't know if that's a vegan term or not, but of Paul's question of, like, like, have you seen something and you said, I can't support this anymore? And I guess really what I'm looking for is just more specific examples of things that people might not realize are counterproductive or not in line with, like, a total liberation movement or whatever you want to call it. Uh, like, what examples of that would you give to people? Sure. My, my love is anti-vivisection work. I mean, that's a huge part of what I love to do. And so I was, because this is New Jersey, I have to mention the Shack campaign because I was part of the Shack campaign and got arrested as part of that. Not like put in jail, though, or prison. <laughs> um, but I very much support the activists and the actions that are being done for animals in laboratories. And there was an organization that started focusing on anti-vivisection work. And I really, really wanted to support it. But when they released the video promoting the campaign, what was included in the video was a, a black woman was the receptionist. 
and they set off like an alarm in front of her to basically create a loud noise and create, you know, a disruption. But my feeling was, was that that black receptionist is not the one making these decisions. She is probably one of the lowest paid employees in that company. And there's no way that was I okay with them targeting, you know, a low wage worker or a worker, a worker. I mean, I don't consider the people with the suits necessarily to be the same kind of workers when I'm talking about workers. And so I had to tell them we cannot support this because this in your video makes it seem like it's okay to target workers and the lowest paid workers at that, which primarily are women of color. And so um, they understood that. Then they put out some information about how they didn't want workers to be targeted, which was great. But because that was still in the video, there was no way that people who just simply saw that video weren't going to think it was okay to treat workers like that. So we couldn't support it. So what do you think is the best way to get to the people that are sort of at the top? Because the low-level workers are just sort of this buffer zone for most of those, you know, the, the heads of companies and the, the top three or four people in charge making decisions. Well, I strongly support home demonstrations. I mean, that's when you're going to their houses, and that's who you want to target, then target them in their home. I mean, I, I can't really, I mean, I don't want to, this could be part of the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, so I'm going to leave my comments on that there, <laughs> but there are other ways other than targeting the, the employees. Fair enough, fair enough. So what, what, what one piece of advice would you give to people that are looking to support a specific campaign, like what to, what to look out for? I think that you really need to understand what it is that the campaign is doing. Ask as many questions as you need to, as well as, um, again, making sure it's in alignment with your own values. Find out what their campaign plan is. Um, with Food Empowerment Project, we're a staff at two, so sometimes when you ask us, we're like, we want to do this and this and this, but we don't know if we can because we don't have the money or we don't have the support. But for most of these larger groups, they're going to have a campaign plan. You know what I mean? They're going to have a plan for what they're going to do, and they are going to should be able to tell you. Um, you know, there's just there's so many things to do with campaign. If you wanted to start a campaign, I would I would love to help you because they're like the best to do. <laughs> do you think that do you think that more people should be starting campaigns like corporate campaigns versus? going out and doing the vegan education, or do you think it's like not 50-50 necessarily, but do you think they have equal importance? I think it depends on the vegan education that they're doing, because I think that some of that should clearly be put into question, because I don't think it's personally, in my 30 years of experience, I think some more is more effective than others. But yeah, I wish there were more corporate campaigns out there. I certainly wish somebody would start tackling companies that are still testing on animals where it's not required by law. Because that's a low-hanging low fruit there. We should be able to get that stopped because it's not required by any law for companies to be testing cosmetics and household products on animals. Would you like to highlight any, like you talked about Fight for the Oceans. I know you also have the One Glass at a Time campaign. Are there any other campaigns going right now, or like specific actions, people listening or in the crowd right now, well, this, like things they could actually get tangibly involved in? And this is a great example of the differences in campaigns. So Food Empowerment Projects Fight for the Ocean campaign is different than our Safeway campaign. Our Fight for the Ocean campaign primarily just means we're going to be doing different things, and my hope, if we get funding, is to do a corporate campaign. But we're actually just calling it Fight for the Ocean effort because it's not quite a campaign until we decide to target a corporation. Our Safeway campaign actually has a strategic goal, right? Do I think our Fight for the Ocean campaign is going to clean the ocean 
with other people's help it will. But the Safeway campaign is us basically targeting them and knowing that they have a point in which it's going to change, right? So we know that um, we have a specific ask of a corporation. That ask is for them to stop putting restrictive deeds on, and on their properties, preventing other grocery stores from moving in. So we have a short, our short-term goal is a specific ask. Our long-term goal with that is making access to healthy foods more available in communities of color. So our long-term goal is food justice. Our short-term goal is stopping this corporation from harming communities. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And what about the One Glass at a Time campaign? Our One Glass at a Time campaign, so we're based in Sonoma County in California, which is where, if you ever see the Happy Cow commercials, that's, that's where these commercials are filmed. The cows are in green pastures. So people have this notion that the, everything's okay because these cows are in green pastures. So part of our effort, because it's not a campaign yet, is... Um, <laughs> it's on your website. It's called an effort. And if not, tell me. That's a mistake. <laughs> um, but part of our effort is to be, we stand in front of the cows. And we let people know that, like, yeah, they may be on green pastures, but one, the babies and the mamas are still being ripped apart. Two, you know, 120 pounds of wet manure per cow per day is a huge waste of, you know, what's everything. Water is being wasted. But our goal eventually is we're trying to figure out, and this is like a total, like, pilot project. Um, we're trying to see if we can help transform a, a, a community entrenched in the dairy industry to think about it in a different way, to think about animal people in a different way by just being fit, like consistently in the community and doing things in a way to get them to talk to us and to try vegan altern you know, milk alternatives, um, cow milk alternatives, I should say. And to we have other stuff planned, but I also can't talk about it. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Is is there any other organizations or anyone else that you wanted to give a shout out to? Give a give the bearded vegans bump to? Obviously, the animal rights author Mark Hawthorne, Vine Sanctuary in Vermont, Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack. Some good books out there by Mark Hawthorne, Afco, Dr. Breeze Harper, Tracy McWhorter, um, Bryant Terry, who was just here. Um, and now I'm just like rambling. Yeah. But um, yeah, thank you for always. Th I really want to thank you all for always making sure that those of us who aren't with the big groups get a platform. Of course. Because it means a lot to us. Um, I want to back it up to the you're talking about standing out in front of the cows. And I'm wondering like what the challenges are with that, where if that's like a part of the the economy of the community. What kind of a battle is that? Does that because to me that makes me think, oh, I'm basically telling this community that their livelihood needs to end, and and they probably see that as a huge threat. So, yeah, what are those conversations like? Well, the last one, the woman said she was going to break my jaw, nice. but <laughs> so I was glad because I had talks to do that she didn't break my jaw. Um, but our goal was really to have a better relationship with them. But she was horrible from the get go. But our goal really was is like. All the articles that are coming out right now are basically that, that cow dairy is a dying industry. And so our goal was to be like, look, save your land, save your family, save what it is that you've built up, but switch to something that's not hurting the environment, it's not hurting other animals, and it's not hurting community health. So that was the goal. It didn't work out with this dairy. But when we're out in the community, because our work is primarily going to be dealing with communities of color and talking about colonization is what 
you know, that it's not good for us to, con it's not part of our, our natural diets. It's not part of, you know, not what my ancestors drank. You know, C Columbus brought dairy over on his fourth, brought cows over on his fourth voyage. It wasn't something that I'm Mexican, very proud Mexican, Chicanx. Um, but that is not who we are as a people. And so our goal is to really start talking to communities of color because the dairy industry has the ability to go to these schools, so we should too. How do you find that balance? You know, because sometimes when we talk about, we do a segment on this show called Dairy's Inevitable Downfall because that is literally all of the news that we ever see about dairy now is that it's going down, down, down. Um, and we've gotten some emails from people that say, well, what about the, the workers that are doing that? Like both the person running the farm as well as the low-level workers, like how do you balance that, that empathy for the worker yet also, of course, for the animals that we're trying to liberate? Well, again, it's, it's so amusing to me because I really thought when we started this standing in front with the cows that we would just get like hate constantly. And we overwhelm, I'd say 97% of people who drive by, including the workers, we get support from. They're honking. We also have a sign that says honk if you love animals because we're just trying to remind people that cows, chickens, they are animals too. So they like honk the horn and then they see about cows and they're like, oh. So we have had a lot of support from the workers. Again, not the owners, but the workers. But there's this called Just Transition. There's an organization called Just Transition Alliance. Um, and we need to follow up with them. But the goal is really to try to get workers from working from toxic environments to environments that are better for them. So their work has been primarily in the oil refinery areas and, and toxic facilities. So we're hoping we can try and get them to start looking at this as well. But, you know, it's not... Farm workers, though, rather it be for non like animals or produce aren't treated well. So our information, if you can see it on our table, which we have here, you can look online. Um, we talk about the, the workers, how the workers are treated as well. We were trying to not necessarily avoid the food justice angle because we know you just did a whole panel on that. But I guess since we have you here, people will often, when, when we talk about worker issues, vegans will tend to say, well, look how horrible slaughterhouse workers are treated. And I know you have a response to that. And I, I would love to just sort of hear it, get it, get it on record. Well, I, I know you like getting me on record. <laughs> Um, you know, no one wakes up and lives their life thinking, I want to kill animals every day for a living. Um, the most, majority of people are immigrants. Um, a lot are undocumented. They are horrific conditions they have to work in. But I get concerned when vegans want to point the other finger all the time at other people instead of looking inward and don't acknowledge that our food as well is at the hands of similar workers who the only difference really is that they're not slaughtering animals all day that there are workers who are homeless, who put food on our plates every day, who don't have access to fresh fruits and fresh vegetables, but they're the ones picking our lettuce. So I think it's important that we, as vegans, not try to come across as if we've got it all down. We're, we're taking care of, we're eating a compassionate diet, but we don't recognize the suffering and the plight of farm workers who pick, in, who pick our food. And what can the, the average vegan that's, that's saying, you're totally right, Lauren, I know how to avoid animal products, right? Because I can look at the package and I can see that a dead chick is inside of there. But I look at some lettuce or some grapes or some raspberries from Driscoll's or something, and I don't know whether or not this is for sure coming from human suffering, although I guess it's probably a good chance that it is, right? So, like, what advice would you give to someone that is trying to, to make strides in that direction? Yeah, and I like that you think the average vegan would care. You're so optimistic. Um, 
We have a lot of pushback from vegans when we talk about farm worker justice issues because they don't see the connection. But, you know, what we try to do is, you know, it's not as easy as being vegan in the sense that you can look at a label and read it with a farm worker issue. If you try to buy organic, at least it doesn't mean the farm workers are treated any better, but they're not being doused with agricultural chemicals, which is better. We encourage people to support the campaigns and boycotts called by farm workers themselves. So the Coalition of Immokalee Workers have a campaign against Publix Grocery Store. I don't know if that's up here. And also Wendy's. Don't care if Wendy's has a vegan burger or not. They're, they're refusing to pay the Immokalee workers one more penny per pound for the tomatoes that they pick. We also encourage you to support the Driscoll's boycott, Driscoll Berries, where the farm workers are fighting for their rights down in Mexico. If you shop at grocery stores that sell Driscoll's, it's important for you to let that grocery store know why you're not buying Driscoll's because you're supporting the farm workers who are picking the food. Um, you can also go to the Coalition of Immokalee Workers um, website and you can look at, they have a list of um, companies that have signed on to their fair food program. It's primarily for tomatoes, but they've started to expand that to include peppers and hopefully strawberries as well. Do you ever worry that when you're trying to advocate to someone that has never thought about a single one of these issues, the animals, the produce, whatever, how do you approach that? Do you ever worry, like, it's too much, I'm piling too much on someone? Or do you think that it's a natural thing that people get? I encourage people not to feel overwhelmed. I encourage them to see it as an opportunity. I mean, there's so much horrible things going on in the world, specifically in this country even, that we need to look at our food choices as an opportunity to help create a better and more just world. And that is, is obviously our own food choices and what we put our money into so that we eat with our ethics. But it's also using our voice to join with others like the farm workers and having our collective voices push, push for a more just world. And we have to look at the fact that we are global citizens now. When you have slaves in Western Africa for chocolate that we eat, we can't deny what the global impact that we're having and that we need to be responsible because these corporations are saying they're doing it so we can have cheap chocolate. And we got to say it's not worth it at the hands of literal slavery taking place right now. All right. So well, I, I think on that note, unless yeah. you have any other questions, we could open yeah. it up to the, our wonderful audience here. We have a little time for Q&A. If anybody, I know it's always scary, the first person to raise their hand if they have any questions. Anybody have any questions for Lauren? So the question just for the listener at home is, what's the difference between vegan chocolate and regular chocolate? Well, the reason why we put that in there is more about the cows and the goats. That are, so a lot of times we will get a lot of people contacting us to look into companies but we have to tell them that we're only listing companies that make at least one vegan chocolate because our list is dedicated to ending suffering. And then we explain to them what happens to cows and what happens to goats. And so we're saying, like, vegan chocolate for the non-human animals and chocolate on our recommended list for the human animals. So the question was about organizing against restaurants and companies using plastic. I think that's a great question. I know that... Um, that's like going to be one of those things that we're going to have to use every tool that we have. The, left, the city of Seattle just banned straws, which is fantastic. Um, when you go somewhere to eat, always just asking for no straws. Um, this is something that we're actually thinking of in terms of who do we want to target for the ocean campaign. 
and the possibilities are endless, right? We could go after airplanes and their waste. We could go after a restaurant for their, you know, so I'm like flooded, flooded water, <laughs> the ocean. Um, I just have so many ideas, you know what I mean? And so it's going to be like really, like really getting back to really, it's absolutely overwhelming because the, 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 the shape that the ocean is in is so horrible. Really figuring out what might have the most impact, but also what's not violating our values, right? So it's going to be, and I thought about this a lot because I'm like, okay, we could go after this company. And then I'm like, oh yeah, but they sell animals. So how are we going to do this, but they sell animals? So it's trying to figure out that target that we can have that isn't going to be like we're selling one for the other. So I don't have a great answer for that, but it is something we're thinking about. So we can think about it together if you want. And I, I feel like now is like the time is ripe for doing those sorts of campaigns because I feel like this people going against plastic is like, that's like the thing now. And not that it's a bad, it's a good thing that people care about this, but it's like, I feel like we can utilize that. Yeah, and I think we, we just talked about this on an episode that has not yet been released, but I think it's important for us to point out that, especially during the straw thing, there's also a lot of great disability activists that are pointing out that there are some folks who need it and that we need to make sure we incorporate that perspective into our activism as well. It's just like another thing to consider. Okay, <laughs> so the question was about how there's a push on the federal level to criminalize undercover investigations, and Lauren, where do you see that heading, and how does that impact your work? I have no faith in the federal government, so unfortunately that's kind of that. The investigations that I've always done, I, I, um, I trespassed, so I didn't work at the farms. I hopped over fences and got all the footage and then hopped back and sometimes injured myself, sometimes got blocked in, but made it out so that people could see the footage. But I do think that, I mean, in terms in general about laws like that, this is why it's so important that we vote and that we use our local policymakers as much as we possibly can. We have so much influence that we don't take advantage of with our city officials, our mayors, that we could create so much change. And that then, the city, you know, we know these politicians go from city council, mayor, to state representatives, to the federal government, to Congress, and we got to start putting that pressure in immediately um, to get better people in office so these federal laws, so we don't have to worry about them, that we can be like, oh, that's never going to pass because I know that 50 of these senators are against that, you know, but I think that really getting our people to vote and understanding the importance of voting, especially since so many people have sacrificed so much, at least for many of us, especially women and people of color, to have the ability to vote. We have to use that power. But I think that if we can do what we can do city by city, I think that's important. So what would be the first step, Lauren, to starting a campaign? Well, I think it would be figuring out what you're passionate about, a problem that you see in your area, and that could be a circus that comes to town. Uh, so let's take a circus that comes to town. Maybe, you know, you could find out who's sponsoring that circus. You, what I did in, in Austin is I reached out to all the sponsors of the circus and slowly picked off all of their sponsors by giving them letters, newspaper articles about bad things at the circus, you know, a tiger who jumped through a flaming hoop and got burned. So just started going, like, literally sponsor by sponsor and sitting down and meeting with them and telling them, why they shouldn't be supporting the circus. So it's just finding little things like that, and you just, I mean, I'm so happy to help you, but just finding things like that. So whatever it is, it's in your community, it's a restaurant, it's a grocery store, it's whatever it is, 
and just, again, anything that starts is like your idea, what you think, why about, do other people agree with you? Is this something that, that if you gave them more information, would you get even more support? And then, you know, starting with that first letter is key. Good way to educate and reach children. Uh, I think that our, well, I mean, teachers are so important and they're so undervalued in this country. It's, it's inhumane in my opinion. But I think definitely doing all of our work to foster compassion. Um, I, I'm like a geek because I, I like to work and watch TV in the background, and I watch so many cartoons in the background. And it's amazing how many kids' cartoons are very pro-animal and how somehow when you get older you're supposed to all of a sudden not care and have compassion. But I think it's really um, teachers supporting them who are compassionate. I think it's us. You know, I don't have kids. That was a political decision on my part, so I don't really know how to relate to them necessarily. I like to watch the cartoons and then talk to kids about it. If I go to places where kids are, just like even if I go to a movie that's a kids' movie and there's something about animals in it, then just like talking about it really loudly, like, oh my god, I don't think I could eat that chicken because like they're the cutest <laughs> ever. Wow, you know, or just like things, you know. Again, I'm sure people who have kids have better ideas than I do. Um, Zoe Wow with the Institute for Human Education has some great information on outreach to kids. Yeah, I guess. If, does anybody else have a burning question? All right, last question right here. Is there a website where the fair trade food manufacturers are listed? Um, we do not support fair trade. Um, so there might be. There's information on our website with a problem with fair trade. Equal Exchange has information with a problem with fair trade on their website. Our website goes into detail in the coffee industry what the problems were. But I just read a report that came out in May from England, even more damning of fair trade. Um, so we're going to be, uh, Andy, Paul, we're going to be updating our chocolate list soon, and we're going to be pulling a lot of companies off of our recommended list because of the information. We never went based on certifications, but we did trust some companies and what they were doing in, um, in Ghana, which is in West Africa. We were trusting a particularly, particular worker-owned cooperative in Ghana and now we're not going to be able to recommend any chocolate from West Africa, period. Because even the worker-owned cooperatives, it's just too problematic there. It's built into the system to exploit and have child labor and forced labor that we just can't. And fair trade, yeah, I, I can give you a link to the report if you're interested. It's really, it's very unfortunate. All right. On so I think note. with that, we're going to wrap it up. So before we do anything else, please give a huge round of applause for Lauren. foodispower.org and a round of applause for the bearded vegans <laughs> so Paul secretly yeah, yes, we have think? been making our own corporate campaign mm -hmm. and it's to get everyone in the world to say the following seven words we are the bearded vegans signing off amazing thank, thank you, you guys much. so much for coming out thank you all So for, for those of you that are familiar with us, we always do a sign-off at the end where Paul, I'll give him some reason to say... We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. I have a dream, which is to hear an entire audience say those words with us. So if everyone in the crowd would be willing to help us, the words are just... We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. All right. Would everybody be willing to do that with us? 
Yeah? You're going to be a part of history right now? <laughs> <laughs> okay. 